Well, good morning. My name is Neil Chotai, Pastor of Church Life. And I just want to apologize first off about my voice. It's going to be a little bit different. No, I'm not going through puberty again. Uh, that was a horrible time and never want to repeat that. But I have some allergies and I'm just trying to fight that right now. So um, I want to welcome you here today. Now, I grew up in a Hindu home in the big metropolis of Oshawa, Ontario. And I grew up in a very spiritual home and a very conservative home as well. So uh, there were some unwritten rules uh, that we actually lived by. So there was no partying. Uh, you could not be out late at night. Parents had to know who their friends were and what their phone numbers were, who their parents were. Uh, no sex before marriage, uh, no alcohol, no drugs, nothing like that. So, and I'm very thankful that my parents instilled that within me and my older brothers and helped us in our, in our walk in life in general. Uh, again, very spiritual home, but a Hindu home in that manner. Uh, then I went to high school. There was about a thousand people in that high school. And it was very hard for me to make friends with the same worldview that I had. Okay, because you're in high school. You have all these teenagers there in high school. So I'm looking for friends having the same worldview as me. So uh, there was this guy that I met, a good friend, uh, you know, struck with this friendship. We both wanted, uh, had things in common. Both wanted to be rich. Both wanted to be accountants. Don't know why. That's a fantastic occupation for those of you who are all accountants in this room. Thank you for your ministry. <laughs> um, and, and just, you know, and we just wanted money, money, money. So... Uh, one Monday morning, he comes to me and says, hey, Neil, hey, how was your weekend? I said, oh, it was good, you know, uh, saw my uncle, you know, in Toronto or something. Some family stuff happened. Uh, it was fun. It was great. And uh, so then he's kind of like fishing. He's like, okay, so how was your weekend? I said to him, oh, it was great. I went to a Pentecostal youth retreat. Now, he's saying certain terms that I just do not understand. No idea what Pentecostal is. No idea what youth retreat meant. I said, okay. And then he goes, I found Jesus. And I'm thinking in my mind, how could you lose a God? <laughs> like, it was this like candidate, attention, attention, looking for Jesus, you know, and I'm thinking, like, you've heard of Jesus, you knew about the Christmas story in Easter, but what do you mean you found God? And, and, and he says, he's so much excitement, and he's telling me about who Jesus is. Like, okay. And then he says, you need to get saved. And I'm like, saved from what? I have no idea. Christians have a very interesting language, okay? I don't know if it was just particularly in that time period of my life, or even if it extends now, I don't know, but, but really strange terminology. And the rest of the world looks at them and kind of like thinking, are you guys out to lunch? Like, what are you talking about? And then he says to me, you need to be washed in the blood of the lamb. I go, hold on, wait a time out here. Okay, you know I come from a Hindu background. I'm allowed to eat burgers and chicken, but this whole lamb stuff, no, 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 no. And to be bathed in, what are you talking about? So the more he's talking to me about Jesus and having a relationship with God, the less I want to talk to him and be my friend. So now I'm thinking, I've got to find another friend who has the same worldview as me. How am I going to do this? Well, I find another friend. Get to know him. We have certain things in common. Then I find out, He's the son of the Salvation Army minister in town. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble. Now at this time, I was on the spiritual journey. I was trying to find out about spirituality. I, you know, like, 
Hinduism was there, but I'm thinking, no, there, there's just something, there has to be something more in life. But I'm also thinking that these two, if they get together, they're going to target me. <laughs> there's only a thousand kids in the school. I am trying my hardest to separate those two. I couldn't. Then they start telling me about Jesus over a two-year period, telling me about eternal life, telling me about God, telling me of God's love. Now, my view of Christianity was this. Waking up in the morning, okay, turning on the TV, finding some cartoons to watch, and all I see is these televangelists on TV. Okay, I'm not sure if you ever saw those people, right? So I'm thinking all these guys are like waving a Bible and going like this. And then my other view of Jesus was, of Christianity was, another show that I clicked on, and this Southern Baptist gospel choir full of African-American people. So my view was Christianity was only for white evangelists or black people who sing. Okay? I was very ignorant. I'll be totally honest, very ignorant. That's what I thought Christianity was. And they're saying, but you need Jesus. Well, okay, if it's for the white and the black and I'm brown, I'm in the middle, I don't know where to go. (laughs) What do I do? But they're telling me, You need to have eternal life. You need to be saved. But I said, can I be saved? So in this passage of scripture that we are looking at today, there is a question that is posed to Jesus by the disciples. That is actually the title of my message. And it's called, Who Then Can Be Saved? I'd like to have all of us stand as we go to the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 to 31. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You should not murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not give false testimony. You should not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone, who, for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or feels for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. You may be seated. So we're going to dive into the scriptures verse by verse. So here we have Jesus, he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to the cross, basically. Basically, this is a a 
this is connected to the previous passages of him coming into the last of his life. But Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And here we have, we have a man. He runs up to Jesus, falls on his knees before him. Now let's take a look at this man. Looking at the other synoptic gospels of Matthew and Luke, we find out that this man is rich, he is young, and he's a ruler. Now, being young and rich, people believe that he inherited some money. And a ruler, he was, he was probably part of a, of a court or, or a council. So this is a man of respect within Jewish society. And here he comes, a man of respect, and he runs to Jesus, not walking to Jesus, but running to Jesus, realizing there's a guy named Jesus coming into town. I've heard things about him. And he gives this interesting greeting. He says, good teacher. That was not a common greeting. Teacher was, but not good teacher. And he asks Jesus this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Here was an individual brought up in the Jewish faith and realizing there's something that he might be missing when it comes to life and life eternal. Jesus then responds to this man, but instead of answering his question, what does Jesus do? He asks a question. He goes, why do you call me good? Jesus said, no one is good except God alone. The title of good, we use flippantly, the word good. How was your weekend? Good. How are you doing? Good. How's your wife? Good. How's school? Good. How's work? Good. We just say good. But being good in itself, we cannot be good. That is only ascribed to God himself. So Jesus is saying to him, why do you call me good? Only God is good. He is not questioning his deity, but he's trying to make the person understand, you've given me a title that is very, very important. See, we can do good things, but goodness in itself is only comes from God. We can only do good things because God has imprinted himself through the revelation in our lives, whether we are a follower of God or not, about things that are good. He says, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? This man comes with sincerity to Jesus. He wants to know something about life, that there's something more than this existence that we see. And there's this yearning. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has put eternity into our, our hearts. And there's something that is yearning within this man to have a greater relationship with God. Jesus goes on and he says, you know the commandments. And he lists a few of the commandments. And he's purposely listing these commandments. Don't murder don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, don't defraud, basically that's coveting, and honor your father and your mother. What Jesus has done, he is quoting the last part of the Decalogue, the last part of, of the Ten Commandments, which was found in Exodus and Deuteronomy. And this, these commands have to do with how we treat our neighbor. How do we treat one another? It's this horizontal relationship. So Jesus is saying, how are you doing in this, like, like in this type of relationship? Because if you have this perfectly well done, then that means you have this absolutely perfectly in order, which is not the case. So he asks this question before, and he says this answer, you know the commandments, 
you know these things. Now, this person has kept these commandments because he responds to Jesus, teacher, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Now, even though no one could keep the entire law, this man says that I have kept the entire law. But he hasn't. Jesus is concerned about the inside, the man, the heart, the individual, the very essence of this individual on the inside. What is your heart really like? You may keep the commands on the outside. And for the rich young ruler, those those commands were easy because he was rich, he was young, and he was ruler. There was probably nothing in his world that would cause him to steal because he had everything. There was probably nothing in his world that would cause him to murder because he had so-called everything. And here he's mistaken. He has everything on the outside, but not proper and correct on the inside. He's lacking something. He is lacking a life with God. We go to verse 21. Jesus knows about this, and, and this is the main thing about Jesus. Jesus, it says, loved him. Jesus has compassion for people. He has this beautiful compassion. He looks at him with absolute love and compassion, and he says, one thing you lack. This can be translated to need. This is one thing you need. Jesus says three things. One, sell everything. Two, give to the poor. Three, come, follow me. This is what Jesus had told the man. This is what you need to do. This is what he has to do. Jesus says that the one thing that you lack, the one thing that you need, the one thing that you have that is a stumbling block is this wealth that you have. This stumbling block. He's not necessarily saying it's the wealth. He's saying it's a stumbling block. The one thing that you have that is preventing you from having eternal life is you're holding on to this. What Jesus is saying here is that eternal life is not found in keeping the commandments and the law, but it is found in the person, which is Jesus. Eternal life is only found in him. That is why Jesus says to the young man, follow me. Give up everything and follow me. He's pinpointing something sensitive into that person's life, into his heart. That is that one stumbling block that you have that is preventing you from having a relationship with God. That one thing, as opposed to having treasure in heaven. The man's wealth, position, status, and comfort was his security in this world, but it was not going to give him eternal life. What Jesus is saying is that we must not be attached to material things, but we must be with him. This is the reaction of the individual. At this, the man's face fell. It was utter sadness, utter disappointment, because he had that great wealth. Many times people went to Jesus and they were saddened and then they interacted with Jesus and they were full of joy and happiness because Christ did something in their lives. And here you have in this portion of scripture, a man comes in with so-called earthly joy and earthly happiness, interacts with Jesus, and he goes out with total sadness. The problem wasn't with Jesus. The problem was 
in this person's heart. He didn't realize that obedience to God brought total joy and that disobedience by not following Jesus brought upon him utter sadness. It was a really sad moment. Nobody knows what happened to this man. But he loved his great wealth. He loved that possession. He loved, it wasn't the wealth, it was the love of that wealth. It was the love of that possession. He went away sad. The man's disappointment. It was sad. It was tragic. Jesus then looks around and he says to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And I want to just park on this for a moment. The word rich here means things or stuff or possessions. Kingdom of God, Mark will use it interchangeably with kingdom of God, salvation, eternal life. So when we reread this, we could actually read it like this. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who possess things or have the love of things, love of the possessions that they have, how hard it is for them to enter salvation. That is what Jesus is saying, to have eternal life. It is so difficult. It is actually impossible, as we're going to be looking at further. Now, as this message may seem to be for those who are searching for Jesus, this message is also for those who are Christ followers in this room. So what I'm going to ask you for the next few moments until the end of this service, this message, is for all the Christ followers in this room, reflect on what one thing that you have that is a stumbling block for you to live life more abundantly in the race that God has called you today. So after this encounter... It says the disciples were amazed at his words. I'm going to go back to this amazement in the next uh, verse. And Jesus says this important thing. He says, children, this refers to the passage of scripture before. When he says, come to Jesus, come to God with childlike faith. Not childish, but as childlike faith. It says, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. The beautiful thing about Jesus is he'll take, he'll take certain things that are around him and he'll try to prove a point. And Jesus was amazing. He was a master at this. Phenomenal. And then he says this. It is easier for a camel, okay, for a camel, which is the largest land animal in the Middle East, okay? Take the largest land animal in the Middle East, okay, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Okay? So I want to to parse this for a bit. Stay on this for a second. Now, the term eye of a needle, people have said that this theory came up in the ninth century that there was a gate in Jerusalem called the eye of the needle, a very tiny gate, the only way a camel could get through it is if all the luggage and everything was taken off and the scrawny little camel would get, get through, go through the gate. Okay, that is actually not the case. That, didn't, that doesn't exist. You know what Jesus is really saying when he says the eye of a needle? You know what that is in English from the original Greek? It means eye of the needle. 
Okay, so Jesus is taking, saying, take the largest land animal in the Middle East, which is a camel, and put it through the eye of the needle. That it's easier to do that than for someone who has possessions or the love of possessions to enter salvation. How many people have threaded a needle? It's hard. I don't like doing it. You know, like, I'm surprised this person got this in there. Seriously. But it's the eye of the needle. It's basically impossible. What Jesus is saying, it is impossible. If you hold on to possessions, if you hold on to the love of possessions, if you hold on to the love of stuff, if you hold on to the love of your job, if you hold on to the love of, your, uh, of what your status is, that is going to impede you from having eternal life. That is what Jesus is saying. I'm here to give you eternal life and then life to the fullest while you are on this planet. That is what Jesus is saying. Well, this, the disciples were even more amazed. The second time it says that they were amazed, but now they were even more amazed. And let me explain why they were even more amazed. Back then, first century, okay, we've got to put things in context. First century, okay, financial prosperity equaled blessing from God. So this is basically what the disciples are thinking here. Whoa, 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 wait, Jesus. Is this what you're, oh, wait a minute. Jesus, you're telling us that somebody who has financial prosperity, that we have been brought up to think that they have the favor of God, the blessing of God upon them, that for them, they cannot enter the kingdom of God? It's going to be hard for them? It's going to be impossible? That's what we were brought up, Jesus, in thinking that. That those who were financially prosperous were the blessed of God. And then they would have been really high up to where you are, God. It's, it's impossible for them. Then the question is asked, then who can then be saved? If they can't be saved, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But... Not with God. All things are possible with God. And I'm going to park on this for a while. Because sometimes people take verses out of context. I always talk about context. It's very important when you look at scripture to take it into context. Otherwise, when you take things out of context, you make your own theology out of it. What God is saying here, what Jesus is saying here to the disciples and to us today, he, this is with respect to salvation. Salvation only. It says, with man... Salvation for themselves on their own is impossible. But with God, salvation is possible with him. That is what it means. The context of this has to do with salvation, has to do with eternal life. We're not going to create a brand new theology about asking God for stuff and, you know, hey, it happens. No, that's not it. The context is very important. We need to be faithful to the word of God. If we are students of the word of God, we need to be faithful in the context of what scripture is written in and why it's written in a certain way. But with all things according to salvation, it is possible with God. No one can be saved by their own efforts, but God does it for us. But God does it for us. Then Peter speaks up, and he's basically talking on behalf of the disciples. He's saying, okay, so the rich man has everything. 
Okay, but we've left everything to follow you. We're nowhere as wealthy and have possessions like the rich man. What about us, Jesus? We've left everything as well. Peter and the disciples are still thinking on earthly terms instead of heavenly terms. And Jesus says, truly I tell you, take these words, they're so important, he's saying. This is important stuff I'm telling you. No one who has left home, brothers, sisters, mother or father, or children or fields, for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers. Notice he doesn't say fathers, but there's only one father and that is God. Children, fields. Mark adds, with persecution, in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus does not rebuke Peter, but in fact agrees with him. Yeah, Jesus says that you've left much, but you will receive much in this life and in the life to come, in eternal life. And Jesus ends the passage of scripture. Mark ends it with this, with what Jesus says. He says, the first will be last and the last first. Jesus has said this many times over within scripture. And the context here refers to those who have a ranking position now will not have that same ranking in eternal life. It's also a warning that for the disciples and for us today, to those who are followers of Christ, rewards are not supposed to be of this world, but they are eternal that we store up treasures in heaven. So we've looked at this passage of scripture. Now what? I'm going to give you some takeaways. But before I do that, I want you to keep in mind a couple of things. First, there are those who believe this passage of scripture is only for those who are not followers of Christ, for those who are searching. If you're in this room and you're searching, yes, this passage of scripture is for you, but it's also for those who are followers of Christ. As I mentioned before, God has called us to live a life, a life of abundance in him. He's given us destiny. He's given us a plan for our life. What stumbling blocks do we have in our life that we need to reflect on today? Allow the Holy Spirit today to speak to you in your spirit, in your heart. What is that blockage that is stopping you to have a better life here on this planet. Secondly, while this scripture talks about a rich person, people assume this passage is only for the wealthy. It's not particularly for the wealthy, even though it talks about a rich young ruler. But it has to do with what the rich young ruler loved, what he held on to, his possessions. It wasn't the wealth. It was the love of the wealth. That was his stumbling block. Now, if you're in this room and you still believe that this is for the wealthy, let's put this in context. We're in Canada, one of the most prosperous nations in the world. There's about 33, 34 million of us, okay? Population of the planet is 8 billion people. We are part of the Western world. Western world is pretty well off. So add the US, Western Europe, Australia, and New Zealand, all the Western countries. Maybe we're a, million, a billion people. We're a billion people out of eight billion people who are pretty well off. We are probably better off, poor of us in this country are probably better off than some of the people who have lived throughout history and definitely people around the world right now. So when we take the context of wealthy, we're the wealthy in this passage. 
Now let's look at the passage, what it's teaching us. Disciples ask the question, who then can be saved? If the rich man who has so much influence cannot get himself into the kingdom of God, then who can? Eternal life is attained through something called grace. It is grace. And God's grace is an unmerited favor upon us. God welcomes us into his presence, into relationship with him when we do not deserve it because of our sin. Sin separates us from God to have a relationship with him. That's an entered the world. When a cataclysmic event happened in the book of Genesis, recorded the fall of man and women. It's the story of Adam and Eve. And we are born with a sinful nature. God's grace was shown to us in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. See, over many, many, many thousands of years, the only way to have a relationship with God before Jesus came was to offer sacrifices unto God. But that was a temporary solution. A perfect sacrifice had to be given. And that was what Jesus came here on this planet for. That God gave us his son. We do not deserve to be in that place of grace. But God chooses to bring us into a relationship with him. Through Jesus' death and his resurrection. That God's wrath was placed upon Jesus. That our sins were placed upon him. As opposed to us receiving that wrath. He took our sin for us. That is God's grace. So we would not have to face death, hell, and the grave. God's grace invites us into a place where we have no right to be in. But we are gracious to heaven. The big idea for today is God's grace frees us from the clutches of this world. In verse 17, the rich young ruler said, what must I do to earn eternal life? That question is wrong because he's, he's wondering, what can I do? We can't do anything to have eternal life because God's grace is given. It is not earned. God freely gives his grace to us. At the fall of humanity, God had a plan that he would offer up his own son. In the past few weeks, we've, we've seen how Jesus has predicted his death. And Jesus says, the son of man will be delivered. Who's doing the delivering? Not humanity. God is literally delivering up Jesus as the perfect sacrifice so there would not have to be any more sacrifices because of the grace and love that he has for us. The rich man thought that he could attain eternal life because of something that he could do because of his stature, because of his age, because of his prosperity. He wanted to be a somebody. And in being that somebody, he thought that would leverage him to have eternal life. John Piper writes, we weren't meant to be a somebody. We were meant to know somebody, and that is Jesus Christ. That somebody is Jesus. Secondly, God's grace brings freedom. This is why Jesus said to the young ruler, rich young ruler, give up everything to the poor, follow me. You may think that eternal life it's something that you can get, but no, 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 no. It's something that is earned, and you, you have freedom when you accept God's grace. See, this is the problem for the rich young ruler and many of us in life. We hold on to things. We hold on to our stature. We hold on to who we are. We are in our jobs or our degrees or our wealth. We hold on to it. But when we're holding on to it, we have to ask the question, are we holding on to those things, the possessions, or are those possessions holding on to us? And this is what God says. Give that stumbling block away. Open up your hands and give it to me. Let go of it. 
and welcome me. That is what Jesus is saying, that there is freedom when we receive God's grace. The only thing that the rich young ruler had to do was to give up that stumbling block for eternal life. What a beautiful exchange. Giving up stuff, giving up your stumbling block, and you receive eternal life. That is a wonderful exchange. God doesn't want us to stay where we are, but he wants to move in that freedom for all the Christ followers in this room. What is that one thing that you need to give up to live the life that God has called you to, to go further into a better life in him? He doesn't want to just leave us where we are today, but wants us to go further. Tim Keller says, God sees us where we are, loves us where we are, accepts us where we are. But by his grace, he does not leave us as we are and calls us to follow him in life. We are given a freedom in our relationship to go further where we're supposed to be. And that is what God wants us to do, to have a life that is full of abundance, to do better for the life that he has given us. And lastly, God's grace gives us blessings. The rich young man probably thought that while he's giving everything up, he's giving up all the blessings, all this favor from God, he's giving it up. He's going to have nothing. He was thinking about earthly things as opposed to godly things, heavenly things. His mindset was on the finite things instead of the infinite things. His mind was on earth and not in God's presence. When Jesus was talking to disciples in the last few verses, he gave them a three-point promise. And in that passage, he said, he said, he said you're going to give a hundredfold of what you have lost. Brothers, sisters, you, you know what we gain when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ? We do receive a hundredfold, but it's more than a hundredfold. You know what? We enter into a new community a new gathering of God's people. In the Greek, it's called Ecclesia. It's called the church. It's called the family of God. That is what we inherit when we answer the call of Jesus to have eternal life, to have a relationship with him. Yes, we're going to have persecutions and we're going to suffer. Yes, but those who choose God, God has said, yes, the world's not going to like what you do, but that's okay. You have a relationship with me. You have eternal life and I am with you always eternal life to come. For those who are not followers of Christ, the promises that come when you become a disciple are incredible through God's grace. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to have a family of God called the church. He wants you to give you a destiny. He wants to give you a path that is absolutely wonderful instead of the path that you are taking right now that will lead to destruction. For the disciple of Christ right now, remember the greater blessings that come in the future, a decision that you have already made, and the abundant life that he has called you to. Who then can be saved is what the disciples asked Jesus. The answer is all who hear the calling of Christ can come into relationship with him. And it is through his grace that we can have a relationship with him. And relationship is secure. As R.C. Sproul has said, we are secure. Not because we hold tightly to Jesus, but this is a beautiful part, but he holds tightly to us. To those who are searching today, listen to the God, the call of God that is coming upon your life right now. He is calling you into relationship. 
Are you looking for fulfillment of life? It comes from God. Are you looking for a reason to live? It comes from God. Are you looking for a purpose in life? It comes from God. Are you looking for a joy that you can you hardly imagine this happiness? That's what the rich young ruler wanted, but he dismissed it. Are you looking for the ultimate happiness, that ultimate joy? C.S. Lewis, a great writer, says, human history is a long terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. If you're in this room, not a Christ follower, God is calling you into relationship today. It's a decision from your heart. And it's an important decision to make. And in that decision, God is giving you his grace to have eternal life. And how can you do that? I'll help you with a prayer. You can't save yourself. I can't save you. Only God can save you and give you a relationship with him and eternal life. What you do is you ask God to forgive you of your sins because sin is the stumbling block that keeps you from having a relationship with Jesus Christ, eternal life. Secondly, you believe Jesus is the only God and there is no other. And then you commit your life to Christ. Stop trying to find something other than God. Don't be part of that long, terrible story. This morning, it's a decision that you have to make in your heart. I want you to intently think about this. In a moment, I will lead you through a prayer. For all the Christ followers in this room, reflect on that stumbling block that you have in your life, that God wants you to have a better life in him, in what he has already called you. What is stopping you from being in total fulfillment of what God has called you to be? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus and we thank you for the grace that you have given. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the decision that I made years ago in accepting you as my Lord and Savior, best decision. And I pray for those in this room who are on a spiritual journey right now. Father, as you're calling them into a relationship, let them reflect and think about this decision as you're calling them into a relationship intently right now. And for those who are followers of Christ, may they reflect, Holy Spirit, speak to them right now on what something block they have in their life that they need to deal with to have life more abundant with you. Be with those individuals. Be with those Christ followers. Now, if you are in this room and you are not Christ follower yet, and you are making that decision as God is calling you to be in a relationship with him, he loves you. If you were the only one in existence, he died for you on a cross for your sins. So you would not have to face eternal punishment and death and hell in the grave. But he died on a cross for your sins so you could have eternal life with him and a destiny that he calls you to. If that is you in this room, as God is calling you into relationship with him, He's inviting you into that relationship. And you need to respond. Respond to him today. I want you to pray this prayer silently in your heart as you respond to the call of God right now. Repeat this prayer after me in your heart. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your love and your grace. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I thank you for eternal life. 
I thank you for a relationship with you, God. That you will never leave me or forsake me. For you will always be there for me and with me. God, I believe Jesus is the only God. That there is no other, only Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And now I commit my life to following you, Jesus. Thank you for your grace and your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.